Oh, well, if it isn't that my favourite time of week, once again, when I get all, all of the time in the world, or as much as Zoom allows us, to talk automotive bollocks with some of my nearest and dearest. I am, of course, talking about Andy Enright and Scott Newman. If you needed reminding of my name, it is Daniel Gardner. And this is Which Car Weekly, arguably arguably the world's best automotive podcast i don't know if there's any argument about it is there well i mean someone will argue it so i'm allowing them to. oh yeah fair enough yeah but they're wrong yes we allow all opinions on this podcast as long as they are the same as ours align with us <laughs> that's right exactly no we, we actively encourage opinion uh, and we'd love you to get in touch if you agree with or disagree blatantly with anything we say because conflict is interesting whichcar.com.au is the place you can find out all of the stuff that we do uh, and you can get in touch via the social medias at whichcarau or just at whichcar depending on which is your favoured form of social media. Mine is nothing. Um, now then, gentlemen, welcome. Today we want to kick off with sad news. Sad news, uh, there has been a passing in the automotive sphere. A car has been put out to pasture um, and we're not talking you know some forgettable shit box that no one cares about it's a car that in my opinion was significant and i am of course talking about the ferrari gtc4 lusso or in its previous generation the ferrari ff why do i care about this when most people would say good riddance well i'm going to tell you i mean for, does, for a start guys is this is it worth talking about? Are you saddened by this? Is it significant or is it just an irrelevant car that was just all slowly passing to obscurity? I think it's one of those cars that is probably going to become more revered as time goes by because it was, it was an outlier, wasn't it? The FF and the GTC4 Lusso. It's a, it's a weird thing. And we like weird things, don't we here? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think Absolutely. that, uh, I think that it's one of those cars that, is a perfect niche car from what I, you know, obviously I've never owned one myself, but it seems that it only appealed to a very select few people, which is why obviously it's just been canned because if, you know, if it was popular, they'd keep making it. Um, but the people that it did appeal to absolutely loved it in general. Um, so there are a few dissenting voices, but it had a unique set of talents and uh, which we'll probably just about to talk about. That's your amazing sort of skills of prediction <laughs> there. So exactly, we're going to talk about why do why do I love the FF slash GTC four Lisa? Well, for a start, what I liked so much about it was where other cars have kind of tried to do a similar thing. Case in point, Porsche Panamera. Um, I perhaps that's a bad example because I actually I like both the practical aspect of that car, first generation. I also quite like its weird looks as well. But I don't think anyone could argue that the, the FF or its GTC4, its own successor, was ugly. I think it did what Ferrari set out to do. It was practical and, you know, not by, you know, we're not talking Kia Sorento practical here, but it had four seats, it had folding rear seats, it had a big boot, it was four-wheel drive. It was, to all intents and purposes, the most practical Ferrari ever made, probably still to this day but we'll come on to the future in a minute. But it did all that, and it still, in my opinion, was jaw-droppingly good-looking. And I would like to hear if you disagree with that. I think it's, it's an unusual-looking car. The, 
some colours work better than others. It's really, really colour sensitive. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it, just one of those cars that grows on you. It just looks so strangely proportioned, doesn't it? That huge bonnet and the short superstructure on it is is an unusual piece of car design. But there's something so cool about an FF or a Lusso. It's just unusual i I, yeah. I love the thing i remember I, I got one in 2011 out of ferrari and i just had it for the weekend and i, I said to them you know is, is there any limit on what i can do with it and they said no do what you want with it <laughs> so i knocked oh. off work on friday night and oh, drove wow. to the french alps <laughs> <laughs> and drove it around in the snow and then brought it back and uh yeah, that was that was one of the most fun weekends. Just uh, did they did they the review their statement and what and their level of permission they'd given you, and they saw three thousand kilometers on it. <laughs> it was a little, might have been a little bit more than that. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, they were they were surprisingly uh, cool with that one. Um, I I think it had had a bit of a hard time this car before because uh, there are a few things that you know these the Ferrari quirks that everybody loves. <laughs> and that they pay all the extra money for yeah. um, about it, but uh, oh, it was just such fun. Really, really good. similar appeal in those the aesthetics to BMW's Z3 um, coupe. You know that that weird. You know they call it the bread van, and yeah, bread van. Call the FF the bread van as well. Um, but it, like I say, you mentioned proportions, Annie, and, and they just worked. It wasn't weird. It wasn't sort of, and it didn't look like they'd done it for the sake of it or tried to make a square peg fit around hole. It was. It just, I just think it worked. And, and for me, the saddest thing about it is it genuinely was the anti-venom for SUVs. It was, you know, yeah. argued wanted something practical or with a greater degree of practicality than Ferrari had ever offered before. Four-wheel drive, comfortable, a great GT cruiser, savagely quick. Um, and it, it worked. And, but it didn't, did it? Because they're putting it out of pasture. Clearly, people's uh, addiction to SUVs is too great. And that is why, looking to the future, Ferrari is doing something a little bit more in the vein of SUVs. Well, that's, well I, think they need, I think they need to, because it was only, across its lifespan, that car only sold, what, 450, 460 examples per year. Um, so it wasn't going great guns for them it was even being outsold by like the more expensive v12 coupes and absolutely massively outsold by things like 458 um so i can see from a commercial perspective why they would pursue an suv it still makes me a little bit sad though there's a few things it's one andy's right it's very color sensitive some some cars you some some examples you see and go and other examples look you know like the most beautiful piece of car design you've ever seen um maybe dark colors tend to work you know like a, a deep blue or a deep green kind of works well on it um mm. also you get that savage uh v12 powertrain although it must be said um i looked at was with some cynicism when they brought out the gtc4 lusso t the 3.9 twin turbo v8 one i thought you know without the v12 why would you bother that was actually a really sweet car to drive i only drove it sort of yeah. briefly but it was a lot of fun um, and that that was a rear driver, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, so that was a rear driver. So that was a, like a full family skid machine. Um, but uh, the, and the, we also have to say briefly that it was four wheel drive, but it was also a very radical four wheel drive. Like it was, it was like yeah. no other system that there was. It was um, a second a second gearbox 
like it was all drive, but it was only all drive up to 120 k's an hour, I think. Um, yeah, up and up to the top of fourth gear, it would yeah. it would go from. Had a two-speed gearbox in the front, I think, on in front of the engine. Um, yeah, so it drove so it had output front, shafts going front. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So it had it had the the crankshaft was exposed at both ends of the engine. So you drove the front gearbox off the front of the engine off its nose, and you drove the rest of the gearbox and the rear wheels off the back of the engine. It was like everyone at the time was like, "You clearly out of your mind. Too many grappers." But what do you know? It was like half the weight of a conventional all-wheel drive system it worked yeah. beautifully it, it kind of yeah it, it was it was very unusual it slipped clutches all the time didn't it permanently yeah, I think I think so, yeah first gear covered first and second in the rear gearbox and second gear in the front gearbox covered third and fourth gears so <laughs> it, it was it was kind of yeah i think six six percent um over geared on each gear so it was a really really strange piece of engineering um, um, I think it could only deploy about 20%, I believe, of torque up to the front tyres, but sometimes that's enough to get you out of a spot if it's slippery. Yeah, and I mean, the, I mean I'll cover it now. The, the, I didn't drive the FF much, but it was responsible for an all-time memorable drive. Uh, so Moda did a thing with it, and we drove it over the, over the Victorian Alps because, you know, that's what you did with a, something like that. Um, not quite the French Alps, but we made do. <laughs> um, it got it got dropped off in Albury for us, so we could go over the Alps. And for some reason, the, some paperwork hadn't been done or something. Um, so I was the only one that was technically allowed to drive it at the time, and Dylan couldn't drive it. So it worked for me. I wasn't riding the feature, but I got to I got to steer it for the first few hours, and we went up Mount Buffalo, and I got a completely uninterrupted run in the wet in a Ferrari FF and it was, you know, wow. slippery, so slippery conditions. It was the perfect, you know, scene for it, obviously, but you're still slipping and sliding a bit in that thing because it is still quite rear drive and it's a big old bus. It must be 1,800, 1,900 kilos, but, um, you know, what, what a car in those conditions. Um, but the, I actually read something interesting the other day, unrelated to the FF, but um, topical is that um, a guy was talking about a serial supercar owner, one of those guys who's got you know, like 40 cars or something, he said, uh, tended to, he was talking about why he bought certain cars and which ones he really fell for. And he completely discounted the idea of the four-door supercar because it said, it sounds good on paper, but it just doesn't work, which is the perfect example of the FF. He's like, if I want to go to the Alps, I'll take my Bentayga or the Urus or the Q7 or the Range Rover or something like that. Because, you know, if you've got other people they don't want to sit in the back of an FF because they don't have doors and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, yeah, if they're small children, yeah. maybe they're okay, but even then they're quite hemmed in. So it's one of those things that on paper looks like, well, I've got four seats. I've got plenty of luggage space. What more do I need? But in reality, you kind of need that extra level of practicality that, you, you know, it doesn't have to be, it could be an RS6, but tends to be a Bentayga these days or something, or a Cullinan, um, which I think was the FF's downfall. You know, it's, it, or sort of paid lip service a little bit to that idea of practicality without really being what customers were after. Yeah, I think you'll buy one if you think it's just a cool thing. I remember I uh, had um, a Porsche Panamera uh, tourist, Sport Turismo mm-hmm. one. I think that's a great looking car and it pulled up next to a Ferrari FF and it just looked so clumsy next to the yeah. FF. And I looked at the FF and thought, that's a lovely piece of styling. I, I'm really into that. Yeah. And now Ferrari will have a second crack at a practical car with its Puro Sangue. 
which I believe I'm pronouncing perfectly. The pure blood. Pure blood, whatever. You can't make an SUV Ferrari and call it pure blood. It's the, what, whatever the polar opposite of pure blood is, is what they should have called it. Sounds a bit Aryan, doesn't it? Can you imagine Volkswagen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the yes, trouble so is, will they just, will it just be the same thing again? Because Ferrari don't, you know, it's not an SUV. They don't want to make an SUV. But they have, like, there's a reason people buy SUVs because they want a big box on wheels that goes really fast. So if, I wonder if they try and make it, you know, sleek with outrageous performance, they'll just, you know, end up in the same hole again and people will just stick in their Range Rovers or their, you know, Cullinans, you know, stuff like that. I think given the following and the, and the, the incredible sort of branding exercise that Ferrari pulls, I, I don't think they'll have any trouble flogging everyone they can make. Yeah, it'll be animal. big in China, big in China in their Southeast Asian markets, you know, where they don't care about Ferrari's racing heritage. They want the brand and they want a car that works on some of their crappy roads. So, um, yes. So there we are, a sad passing of the Ferrari FF slash GTC for Lusso. And also for another particular reason, it, personally, um, it was the first Ferrari I ever drove. So uh, it'll always, always have a dear place in my heart. But anyway, we'll move on. We'll move on to, uh, to not away from things that are gone and we have to bid farewell to, to the arrival of a new generation of another icon. The Mercedes S-Class has uh, arrived in its one millionth generation or however many we're up to now. Um, and I was a little bit nervous when this car was um, imminent because as you know, guys, Mercedes, the S-Class is what the German car maker debuts and showcases incredible new technology, whether it be safety or comfort or luxury. Um, <clears throat> this is the car to do it. And it's a, I mean, it makes it tough act for itself to follow. Um, mm. The company already has some pretty uh, eye-opening technologies in other vehicles. How is it going to do it with the new S-Class? And is it fair to say it has absolutely delivered what people expect from this car? There's certainly a lot to get through. I mean, <laughs> I've just, uh, just I've got the um, press release, the launch materials in front of me, and God, it's like 15,000 words long. Um, as you mentioned, it's always the, you know, it's the, it shows the way for not just Mercedes, but almost the rest of the car industry. Mercedes, the S-Class has been a leader. And it is funny, it's one of those cars that in the last couple of generations, almost, or well, almost all its generations, it's still, it's one of those cars that almost doesn't feel like it needs replacing. Like you drive a current S-Class, which is now the old S-Class, and you go, well, what's wrong with this thing? It's still like probably one of the classiest ways to get around and one of the class leaders in the luxury segment even as it goes into its twilight years but nonetheless we have an all new one um i don't know andy you just like a lot of these things that they've introduced it does feel a bit like you know engineering porn it's like they're very clever but how much of them are you actually going to use i know there's there's a huge sort of virtual display that they can project up onto the windscreen and things like that aren't they i can i can i can certainly see the case for uh like the rear airbags which i think are a, a nice that, innovation that's amazing isn't it yeah like, I, I don't want to cool. one comes up one pops up between the front and rear passengers to um yeah. stop them knocking heads yeah you don't want them smashing your noggins like a couple of ripe watermelons do you we're not far away from just the inside of the car becoming a giant bouncy castle when in the event of a crash what was, the, what was the film i was trying to remember it before we started recording um is it it wasn't demolition was it demolition man anyway the one where the car crashes yes. and the entire 
interior fills up with foam and sets. Yes, correct. Demolition Man. That's right. Great film. One of an all-time classics. If they put any more bloody airbags in the interior of a car, that's exactly what it's going to end up like. It'll just yeah. brace you in one position because you'll be like bombarded with airbags on all sides. Well, there can be a big okay. airbag full of those little um, polystyrene nuggets <laughs> that you get in those big boxes of furniture or something. It can just go poof. You know, if it, keeps my, if it keeps my TV monitor safe on the way from China or whatever, it can surely keep me safe in the event of an accident. Absolutely. Uh, there's so much in that car that apparently um, the 3D instrument cluster is quite something as well. Uh, you don't need glasses, thankfully. I mean, what's, what's interesting is that, I mean, what's interesting is the powertrain, so, you know, especially for petrol heads, you look at it and go, okay, what's engine it's got? Powertrain is the last, the very last section on this uh, presentation, this, you know, Press material. So, if that doesn't say, you know, where we're at yeah. in the automotive world, I don't know what does. Like, we've got MBUX and infotainment, we've got safety, we've got driving assistance systems, we've got active ambient lighting, parking assistance, rear wheel steering, body control, uh, blah, 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 blah. You know, only the very, very end does it say, oh, it's also got an engine. So, yeah. but is, is the engine a peripheral concern in a Mercedes S class? I know? think so. I, I you know, I just want to waft around quietly. You want to be able to move, um, for, you know, <laughs> exactly peripheral. I mean, it's got to be able to pull away at some point. I mean, no, but all you, all you really want in a Mercedes S class is for it to go down the road silently, isn't it? So, yes. the engine is kind of at the bottom of your priority list behind yeah. sort of comfort and safety and luxury That's and all that sort of stuff fair. which which yeah. is what which is why they're migrate they're so keen to migrate that car through um plug-in hybrids and into a full ev well that's my next question it's interesting that you know should to, to play somewhat devil's advocate should mercedes have been braver because they the eqs is coming yeah. they showed the uh concept car recently at a, um was on the cover of wheels i believe um and it's mentioned in their uh, press, uh, launch presentation that's coming soon. But why have this intermediate step? Why not just go straight to EQS? Yeah, I think the corporate strategy is to hedge a little bit and to offer customers exactly what they want. If you want a plug-in, you can have that. If you want a full uh, EV, you can have that in EQS. If you want an internal combustion engine, you can currently have that with S-Class. So they're offering whatever you want, really, um, and sitting on the fence and waiting for legislation to fall into place, um, which is probably quite a smart idea if you've got the budget to do that. Um, and it must be said that the, the FEV, the plug-in hybrid version, uh, will do a, well, they claim 100 kilometres and 100 kilometres under its, you know, under battery power. So, you know, I suppose if you use the cliche example of who drives an S-Class, like a German businessman, then they can do all their inner city stuff, you know, going from meeting to meeting, all their day-to-day -day -day grind in pure EV mode, especially if legislation says, you know, you're not allowed to have combustion engines on in the city. And then if you want to blast from city to city on the autobahns at 250, then you've still got the power. It's got the, uh, that lovely, lovely uh, inline six, Three liter inline turbocharged inline six in it, which is a great engine, plenty of grunt, 320 kilowatts. So yeah, that'll sit on 250 all day, and then yeah, get to a get to a city and switch it off and engage That'd the silent lovely. drive. It's funny. I was 
I was having a look at the previous two generations of S-Class and they kind of went up to about 115,000 global sales. And then at the final year of their production, they were selling 71,000 and change. So it's remarkably consistent, the level of sales for this car. And oh. uh, I was having a chat with um, Ola Kalinius in the week, the head oh. of Mercedes-Benz. Yeah. Just uh, casual name to... drop, just chatting with the, the global <laughs> boss, the chairman of the management of the board. Yeah, and I, I put it to him. Um, I asked, you know, given that said, the look here, Ola, steady... look here, Kalinius. Where's my hat? For those who can't see, because obviously it's a, a visual medium, Andy is wearing a uh, bright white Mercedes star on his cap. So he obviously told Ola what for. Yes, yeah, I put my Mercedes hat on and gave him some grief. <laughs> no, I, I said to him, you know, given that the sales are pretty static across these generations and the development budgets are going up, does the S-Class need to make a profit? Or is it there just as a technological oh. showpiece and all that? And uh, he got surprisingly offended by that question. Really? And, yeah, he said, uh, it's not a marketing exercise or a hobby. We are a finance-oriented engineering machine. Whoa. So he, oh, there you go. That's, Shut down then, right? I told yeah, you. I yeah, it did. did. But it is an interesting but, uh, point because um, when the latest A-Class came out and debuted MBUX, it's like, you know, the obvious question is your silly old, silly old journo is, well, why would you put your flagship infotainment in your smallest, cheapest car? Won't that annoy the people who spend an awful lot more money buying the bigger expensive cars. And the, the answer was that the A-Class is perfect because it's that younger demographic. I mean, I was told that a lot of some Australian S-Class customers still don't have an email address. They're not exactly early adopters of technology. So it's no. a real fine balance between loading all this technology. It's, it's one thing for it to be safety technology or powertrain technology that works unobtrusively. Um, but when you, it's what you interact with the car, maybe it's easier because you can just talk to the car now. Um, you know, the MBX, Hey Mercedes, which sets off every time you say the word Mercedes in a Mercedes. Um, <laughs> the forbidden word, which, yeah. is, which is great. It's great fun. If you're trying to do a piece to camera, it's like the Knights who say knee, like, don't say it. <laughs> oh no, I said it. I said it again. Um, but, said uh, Jehovah. <laughs> oh no i said it um so but my, my point is if you've got the average 65 70 year, year old who's buying an s-class do you risk alienating that you know demographic the people who actually buy this car do they want all this tech yeah they've, they've got an interesting strategy with that they said they moved away from that old school, yeah, like, as you say, the trickle down thing from the S class yeah. through the E class and all that sort of six or seven years ago. And they've, they've now got these weird trickle up and trickle down strategies with the tech. So, wow. um, no one likes know. a trickle up or a trickle, <laughs> trickle up. Yeah, it sounds like something you'd see the doctor for, doesn't it? Wasn't yeah. that a Lamborghini Gallardo <laughs> special model, the, the Gallardo trickle up? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he said next year's, you'll see a C class nine months on, and he said it's like a like a baby S class. So uh, which, what, do, what do we think of the design? I've, you know, Mercedes went and a few manufacturers went to this sort of one family thing. You know, each car has to clearly identify itself as being in the same family. And there's a certain logic to that. And then manufacturers kind of went away from that to give each model its own identity. And now that Mercedes in particular has really gone back to that, like 
you know, I, I might be just getting old, but a number of times the E class came out and I honestly thought it was a C class. They're so close in looks and this S class helps a bit because of the sheer size of it. But as each car gets incrementally bigger, I mean, what do you, do you like that? Do you like that clear family lineage between all the, you know, down the tiered models or do you think it should have a bit more of a, its own flavor? No, I, th I think I think Audi went too far with that kind of Russian doll styling <laughs> Babushka, exercise. It yeah, I, I, I like the new S class. I think it yeah, looks me too. I do elegant, refined. Um, some people have criticised it that it's a bit amorphous, I suppose, in its styling. But that that's a styling thing that you've seen in Mercedes in recent years that they've taken a, a car and just cut superficial swage lines and all that out of the design. Will they so do a, a 63, do you think? Or is that too, is that too, I mean, surely they will because it's such a profit generating car, but it's, I don't know. Will, will, do you think they'll do one? Well, I, I guess they will if it generates that sort of profit. And, you know, you mustn't forget that Kalinius was the head of AMG, AMG yeah. previously. Yeah. So I think whether, they will. whether it's the right or wrong strategy to make cars look all the same or all completely different. One thing is certain, um, and that is righteous motor journalists will always ask the question in a leading <laughs> manner. And, and joking aside, like I was asking, I think it was after the C or the E class was launched, and someone in Mercedes, I said, you know, is, is this, the, I was doing the typical journalist thing, is it the right thing to make them all look the same? He said, when we did the previous generation of everything, and if you think back, prior to this entire family in Mercedes got now, everything did look very different. And he said, do you know what journalists ask? Don't you think they all need to look a little bit more alike? Yeah. And that's what they're up against. They are constantly, they, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. So the only thing that is certain is that journalists will ask that question. <laughs> they ask that question. They ask what the Wi-Fi password is and they ask if they can get more <laughs> profiteroles. <laughs> Yes. So true. There's a couple of things in the in the press release that stood out to me. One was they talk about this. I'm quite excited about these um these projector headlights and not projector in the old sense of the technology. technology. Oh, they show your family slides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they Dan, can... Dan in a nappy being projected against you as you go down the freeway. Oh, that's very kind. That's very kind. Uh, the Western Superman. <laughs> 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 oh my God, yes. I actually think there are slide pictures of me at Western Superman. I mean, that's amazing. Oh, um, no, project headlights. So they, they can actually project images of stuff on the road ahead, which is weird. But weird. my question is, can mm. you... Can you dictate what they are going to project images of? Like, can I display a huge dick of balls in front of the car? Can I relay messages to other drivers that have offended me? Or <laughs> Get out of the way. Like, I mean, that's it's technically possible. Mm, it is, absolutely. So it projects it through the, uh, those OL, was it OLEDs or something that are in the headlights? Yeah, so it's, it's similar technology to, you know, like the projectors you have at home that can, you know, show entire movies on the side of your house. So they've kind of gone down that way. So they, so, but what confuses me is they've also got this augmented reality head-up display, which kind of does the same thing. So on the one hand, they're saying we can display on the road an arrow to tell you to turn right or wherever, but then also the augmented reality does that too. So are they just trying to fit in too much here and double up with technology? How many things are going to be displayed in front of you as you drive along? Like, I don't know. I mean, probably yeah. unlimited effectively. Yeah. And then there's this other thing they talk about in that they say that the, this augmented head-up display is the equivalent, and this is what 
raised suspicion in my, my uh, skeptical mind. It's the same as having a 77 inch television 10 meters in front of the car. Well, that's a bit of um, an obscure explanation, isn't it? Is that the same as having a four mile wide television 100 kilometers ahead of the car? Like, <laughs> I don't even know if that measurement is impressive. Is it the same as having a one inch screen right in front of your eye? I don't know, it means nothing to me. It seems like a strange way of describing it. We'll just have to drive it and figure it out for ourselves. That's what we're here for, isn't it? All right, well, let's move on from S-Class then. And on to, uh, a, a you know, this is, this is a, a lovely idea from Andy, and I'm going to ask him to introduce this because I wonder why he wants to talk about this. Something's on his mind. I think he wants to get something out in the open. Um, Andy, you want to talk to us about car-related wow. purchases? You know... I, I looked at this, Ferrari FFs and Mercedes S-Classes, and uh, I just wanted to bring it back down to earth a little bit. Um, and I'd like to breach the subject of your worst car purchases, whether it's a car, whether it's accessories or car-related clothing, um, because we've all done it. We, we, we like to think that, you know, we're motoring journalists and, and uh, we always buy the best thing that you can buy and all that sort of stuff. And, and it's, it's a load of bollocks. We don't. Um, <laughs> more, more often than not, murdering journalists are purchases of the most horrible dung that you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and that if you looked in their garage, you think, what on earth were you thinking? Um, I bought a car uh, once that I'd always quite fancied. Um, it was the Audi, the original like, Audi 100 Avant, you know, the... Oh, good looking car. Yeah. And it really, you know, it's a grandpa sort of way. Yeah, yeah. So really good looking car. It's red. Um, bought it at an auction. I drove away in it thinking, oh, this is so cool. And then I, I got about 20 metres and I just was struck by the fact that the interior, and there's, there's no real sensitive way of saying this, smelt of turds. Um, <laughs> and... No matter how often I clean this thing, oh, the interior, no. I just couldn't get this horrible, deathly smell out of the vehicle. Oh, dear. So I, I, did, I did the gallant thing and gave it to my wife um, <laughs> <laughs> to drive. Um, and uh, she uh, didn't have it very long because she was going along the motorway and the heater matrix blew up and uh, filled the entire car with steam. Um, so yes. she couldn't see where she was going, started weaving. Did you get rid of the smell? Um, no, she just weaved drunkenly all over the road. Um, she needed. So it it. She needed a improved, 77 yeah. inch, seventy-seven inch, seventy-seven inch television, ten meters ahead of her car, so she could see where she yeah. was going. I think it marginally improved their driving, but uh, it, it, <laughs> hit the, it hit the embankment on the side of the road, and uh, that was that for the Audi. And uh, it was only when it was towed to the scrapyard that I realised there was a, a dead rat in the wheel well. So oh, that was, no! <laughs> that was why it stank. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, you dear. literally yeah. smelled a rat. Yes, yes. So I wasn't sad to see that thing go. I'd like I'll, another one, a good one. but I don't, I don't know if I, you know, I'm not standing, trying to sound sanctimonious or anything. I don't have many because I'm too tight and I don't spend a lot of money on cars unless I really, really need to. <laughs> um, I mean, but funnily enough, you know, the, my R31 Skyline probably qualifies because... So a good mate of mine, it belonged to one of my best mates and he crashed it. Not bad, not super badly, but he crashed it and wanted to get rid of it. So I bought it very, very cheaply. 
uh, knowing that obviously it needed to be repaired. But I had a look at it, the repairs wasn't doing it too bad. Um, so I went and got it fixed. And for about, you know, four and a half grand or whatever, which is what a really a nice one cost at the time. I had a car with a known history. It was in good nick, blah, 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 blah. Sadly, then it went into the repairers and then quickly racked up another four and a half grand because while it was in roughly good nick, uh, the diff needed doing, the front shockers were a bit sad. Um, there must have been other, a lot of other things. So suddenly I'm up to it. And again, it's not the end of the world because that car then gave me a lot of years of driving pleasure and enjoyment and learning and everything like that. But I do hate to imagine it's a silly game. You can't really think about it. But if I added up what I've spent on that car over the year, I could have had a, I don't know, a um, probably a much nicer car than a 30-year-old Skyline as much as I do enjoy it. And, you know, it's a bit sick at the moment and it does need further money spent on it and the decisions have to be made whether that's worth it. And that's very sad. Um, what would you get for it now, do you think? Oh, well, not a lot because it's uh, sadly the... Uh, the rust is starting to eat, eat away at it. So I need to either get the rust fixed, which is expensive, or um, just write off, write off the exercise. So I'm not quite sure where I'm going. Other than that, it would be probably, I don't know, spending too much money on car t-shirts or something like Because I've only had uh, ooh, four cars in my whole life, including and one of them was a rally car. So, you know, I don't, out of four decisions, I don't know, three of them were, decent so i don't know it's not a bad strike right so far i'll have to go, go. You, just, go you just answered the question the, the most stupid car purchase decision you ever made was to buy a racing car everyone knows that is the stupidest thing you can ever do no, that was amazing that was fantastic <laughs> my little i mean yeah it caused me a lot of emotional and financial anguish um, <laughs> physical injury <laughs> my little my little sweet chariot um uh, which is still sort of you know the uh the genes, the DNA of it still live on with a guy in Tassie. Uh, it's on, I think it's, so, so the VIN number or whatever, the, uh, the sort of CAMS logbook has gone through, I think, five body shells. Um, oh, wow. Wow. So it's a bit like so Grandpa's axe. definitely got its training wheels on it there. <laughs> I don't even know if it's still got the same VIN on it. Probably not. So, but the CAMS logbook number, you know, you, you sort of track a race car by its CAMS logbook and the logbook has continued on and survived. So... <laughs> um, yeah, so that still lives on. But you know, that was fantastic. Race cars are amazing. They're just you know ruinous in all ways, other than when you're actually driving them for that half an hour a year. Yes, yes, they're a lot like boats, aren't they? The the, the two best days in race car ownership are the day you buy it and the day you eventually find something stupid enough to buy it off you. Yes, that's um, true. I think now once again, I was thinking about this and I thought, oh, there'd be tons of stuff I bought car related that's really stupid. But I don't know whether it's because I'm a bit pragmatic or just like you said, Scott, a bit tight when it comes to, to money. Um, incidentally, interestingly, I think this is the first time that we've all worn some kind of car merchandise uh, to appear with. And I went, when I saw Andy come on with his Mercedes hat on, I wondered if that's why. Um, uh, but anyway, I'm not saying that my Street Machine t-shirt is uh, the silliest thing I ever bought for two reasons. One, it wouldn't be if I'd pay good money for it. And second, I didn't pay any money for it. Anyway. I you did stole not it out of a box. I did. I just stole it. Yeah, and stole it. It was easy. Good um, I once bought, years ago when I was still in the UK, a Vauxhall Astra. And I bought it for a very meagre sum of cash. It was like 100 or 200 quid. 
uh, because one of the families in the in the area was flogging it because it was just been they run around and they you know what cars are like difficult to get rid of and I thought you know I had my wheeler dealer moment I thought I know I can I can do this car up I can fix a few things and make a bit well, of it's a good thing on. you didn't steal it then with your t-shirt history <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to build a reputation for myself as a petty car thief <laughs> No, I paid money for it. And I regretted it almost immediately afterwards because I started looking over the car, which I arguably should have done earlier. And it was so far gone. I, like on the outside, it looked fairly tidy. Um, and I thought there's not gonna be a lot to do with this, bit of spit and polish and I'll be able to get some, make a bit of money. It was so gone. Like the shell, you know what a, a voxel's like, and yeah. absolutely rotted to bits, but not in a way that was immediately obvious. So I then thought, well, this is, you know, bodywork is not my area of expertise. Very few things are when it comes to fixing cars. But I thought, I can't do it. It's going to cost me more money than I'll ever get back for it. So it sat on the driveway for, for quite a while. And then one day, some friends came around. Uh, and one of the guys was telling me he's got, he's got a similar model. And he said, there's loads wrong with it. I said, well, are the bits on it that you want? And, you know, can I help you out? And he said, yeah, actually, it looks like it's got everything I need. So I said, just take the whole thing. Honestly, take the entire car. And he looked at me like, I couldn't believe it. It was like the best day of his life. He said, really, you want me? And he said, I, I said, don't want anything for it. Just get rid of it. It was a stupid thing, stupid idea I had. And so he, in, in payment on the spot, tried to give me a bag of weed, which, <laughs> I, which I turned down. I turned gracefully declined. But he said, no, look, look, I can't, I can't let you, I can't give you nothing for this car. I've got to give you something. He said, I'll tell you what, pop over my place whenever it's convenient. I've got something I think might interest you. And I was like, oh, right, okay. I mean, to any normal pe person, they think this is a red flag, stay away. <laughs> uh, but I thought, no, my curiosity, my curiosity got the better of me. And I went over a few days later and he sh showed me into, it sounds so weird, showed me into a barn <laughs> and it, there were these, um, and you know what I'm talking about, these concrete uh, livestock pens. Um, Where you know, is this going? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's brilliant. Um, but it was full of something and covered with a carpet. And I thought, oh my God, what is this? And he lifted the carpet and this livestock pen was full of thousands of bottles of champagne cider. Thousands of bottles of champagne cider. So we're talking posh, like champagne cider made in the waste, the same way champagne is made. And he said, take as much as you can carry. And so I was like, now this sounds like my kind of deal. So I walked down there. You don't okay. need to pick up like two or three to exceed the price of the Astra, wouldn't you? Yes, by a long way. <laughs> I think I got out there with like several cases and he'd, um, he was mates with the cider maker and he tried to make it in the champagne style and it had gone cloudy. And as soon as it goes cloudy, it's not, doesn't work anymore. And so he was just had all this amazing cider. So in the end, it turned out to be one of the best car purchases ever made because it ended up evolving into me getting drunk. I hate you guys with your crap purchases that were actually good. Um, <laughs> Just means not, our time's still yet to come. It's not in the spirit of it. I, I, I remember I used to have a, a Toyota MR2 Turbo. And, uh, those things were, were pretty lively at the best of times. And uh, the tyres on it were, were getting a bit shonky. So I was, <laughs> I was up one, late one night on eBay. And you know how dangerous that can be. And I saw yeah. this set of tyres that looked the right size. So I have those. So I bought them, got them put, them, put on the car. And uh, I got them put on the car the same weekend that I took it to Super Chips and had it like hopped up for more power. And uh, 
it was only when they put the tires on that the, the guy <laughs> considerately um, notified me that they were uh, winter tires. They were <laughs> and uh, this was in the middle of summer. Oh, no. so, so I had these things on that, that used to overheat all the time. And once these like winter tires overheat, they have like zero grip whatsoever. <laughs> so so I, I put up with them all rather foolishly all summer, having no grip, thinking oh, when it gets cold, you know, it'll, it'll be great. I'll be right. But of course, I ruined them by the time that winter came. <laughs> and, uh, so that was I remember sense. just getting into the most massive tank slapper right outside Tooting Police Station. <laughs> in <the stand. laughs> in <this> thing. <laughs> and it ended up like a full 360 in the middle of the road outside two <laughs> and but they looked at but they looked out the window and they they didn't arrest you because they just went oh poor bloke in an mr2 just yeah, they, home. There, there, there was a guy standing at the window applauding like, <laughs> <laughing>. <laughs> but yeah that, that was a poor purchase i should have uh, should have read the instructions a bit better on that one i had um it's not a purchase of my own but i felt like it was worth mentioning on the topic um a guy I worked with years ago uh, when I was a mechanic, one of the detailers had a car that he had bought now, talk about late night decisions shopping on eBay. And if you go on eBay and just tap in supercharger, um, the first oh, thing that will come yeah. up is one of these dreadful, like uh, aftermarket Chinese made supercharger kits in inverted commas very much so. And he's the only person I've ever met who actually bought one thinking it was <laughs> gonna have any beneficial effect on his car and had gone and fitted it and then told people about it, which of course you never do when you've bought one of those, when it rapidly becomes apparent it's utterly pointless and useless. Is it just like an electric hairdryer, these things? It's honestly, it's like, it's not even that good. It's not as powerful <laughs> as a hairdryer. It's like one of those, it's like one of those blower motors for the yeah. interior heater. It's like, you know, on the back of a paddle steamer, you know, one of those. Oh yeah, that yeah. Kind of, that kind of impeller. So, so it's so like a fan in the intake, it, is it? Hey, so it's like a fan in the intake, basically going. Exactly. It just, it, yeah, it just bolts on like a like a high flow air filter, except actually restricts the flow of air instead of increasing it. <laughs> and we're also we're also around there on the bottom of his car, and he, and he says, I'll, "I'll demonstrate because you can sort of activate it manually." And he turns it on, and it slowly goes. <laughs> very gently some air into the engine i'm like you do realize a supercharger has to handle about 200 liters a second and this thing is basically a hand dryer <laughs> oh god he was convinced it was making some kind of extra horsepower but of course oh, it well, as long as he was happy yeah everyone wants a low flow air filter don't they on their <laughs> Oh, anyway, well, I think I feel we've got it out of our system. I feel we've uh, laid some some ghosts, some demons. Yeah, yeah. you two are due, you, you two are due a really good bad purchase. Yeah. Know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is that's what isolation can have uh, the effect, guys. We're into uh, into what? How many weeks into level four lockdown are we now? I don't know. It's Friday night. Oh, almost five. All right. Five well, Sunday. Friday night. You need to get on the turps. Get on eBay. Come on. Exactly, exactly. All right, next week, chaps, let's reconvene and we will talk about the absolute... It's funny, I was searching on car sales today. Can I, can I recommend the custom tab on car sales? Oh, uh, this is know, another... I another, well. can give car sales a plug, but, you know, whatever. That's where you, that's where you go. Um, yeah, I recommend the custom tab. You'll find some uh, very uh, intriguing... You'll, you'll be surprised and delighted. I'll put it like that. Okay, great. Top tip. That's exactly what we're going to be doing. I'm going to open a bottle of homebrew and I'm going to waste my money on eBay as I get drunk. 
and uh, tested and recommended more highly enough for everyone else. Gentlemen, thank you. It's lovely to chat to you as always. Let's reconvene next week, find out what absolute meaningless crap we bought on eBay. And in the meantime, uh, I would say drive safely, but we're not allowed to go anywhere. So uh, it's a bit of a superfluous comment. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Whichcar.com.au is the place to go for all our other stuff. And in the meantime, do stay safe. Goodbye.